Yes, let's give it up for that right there. So if some of you are confused about what in the world did we just watch, that was um, just a snippet that our very own Jacob Paris, I don't know if he's up in here, but our comms director, he came out to winter camp that we did. It's funny, it was during spring break, but it was winter camp and it was snowy and whatnot. But I just show that to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who were praying for camp and for those of you who gave money in order to um, bring kids to camp. Um, finances were a stretch for a lot of kids, but Finances were not an issue in a single way because so many of you stepped up and said, hey, I want kids to experience Christ. So um, I will say there was, a, there was a, lot of, um, a lot of really good conversations that were had, a lot of uh, snowballs that were thrown. Um, but at the end of it, I think that we all just moved closer um, to the Lord in that. So thank you and thank you, Jacob, for, for capturing that. Um, I've got to say, it's always an honor to serve in this capacity. Um, I never take it for granted. Um, if you missed it, I'm the high school pastor here. My name is Nick Mastrud. I've been here for almost six years now, which is, I know some of you are like, I thought you just started this year, but it feels that way in some respect. Now, well, no, it flew by. I don't know, a little bit of both. But um, let me just say that my greatest passion in the world is seeing people come to know and experience Jesus. That is my single greatest passion. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I truly believe that if Christ gets a hold of you or your neighbor or anyone for that matter, um, then, you will ch- then you will change the world because he's going to be working through you in the lives of the world of the people around you. I, I think that's what Jesus had in mind. Jesus' plan for us is to go into the world, teaching people about Jesus, baptizing them into this new life. And um, something I was reflecting on this week is that that's his plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B. <laughs> that's his plan A. Is I was like, don't you want to pick something more foolproof? But he's like, no, I want to partner with and, and put wind in the sail of my people to bring the gospel to people. So this, this is the first Sunday after Easter. How many of you guys were here on Easter? That was such an amazing celebration. Um, I've got good news for you today. He's still alive. He's still risen, right? Resurrection life, it it doesn't happen once a year on Easter. It's a reality that we get to live into every day, today being one of those days. The resurrection life is true now, today, but we're also on this side of heaven, which means there's brokenness on this side. Uh, and brokenness that tends to taunt us, and sin that tempts to corrupt every part of us and the the places that we find ourselves. Uh, But we have a God who loves us and is in pursuit of us, but at the same time, the flesh and the enemy are competing for our attention. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Um, Consumerism wants us, right? Social media, liberals, conservatives, pornography, they all want us. But I truly believe who wants us most is Jesus. And how I know that is because he paid the highest price than any of those things will ever pay for us. The gospel is a love story of God getting his kids back. Um, so, so we're sitting in a moment of history where Jesus is risen, but at the same time, what the scriptures say is the enemy prowls around looking for someone to devour. The enemy is working hard to have influence over your life. Uh, next week, Dave is kicking off a brand new teaching series on resurrection implications. Now that he is risen, now what? Um, and I'm kind of getting the gears turning on the topic of the kingdom of God. Really small topic, the kingdom of God. So, um, no, this is big, so I'm just barely even diving into it. But I think one of the most valuable things that we can be doing um, in our day right now is discerning and considering the differences between the culture that we live 
and kingdom culture, the culture that's around us. Like, how do we hold kingdom values when we are immersed in a culture that is at odds with God's kingdom? How do we, how in the world do we do that? How do we live for Jesus when the culture around us is directly opposed to him? What does it mean to have a God that loves us deeply, um, but at the same time um, invites us into difficult spaces as we follow him? I have a basic definition of what I'm referring to when I speak of the kingdom of God, and this is kind of what I mean when I say the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not designated to a particular place. It's anywhere that God is ruling. In other words, you can live in the kingdom of God simply by allowing God to have rule and dominion over your life. His kingdom shows up when you are submitting your life to him wherever you find yourself. So, all throughout the teaching of, teachings of Jesus, he's giving us different stories or parables to explain what his kingdom is like. You can't just explain it like a simple definition. It's so much more vast than that. And it's super helpful that he tells all these stories because we need a better picture. And the message we're going to look at today is short. You may have heard it before, but don't skip past it. It is absolutely profound. Jesus explains what his kingdom is like in a very short story, and we're going to hang out in that story today. Are you with me? Okay, great. Here is the story. Matthew 13, 44, words of Jesus here. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And, and then in his joy, he turned around and he went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is one of many instances where Jesus tells stories to open up a window into how we should view his kingdom. What truths can we pull from this about kingdom living. I think we'll start with this. Here's the first truth I want to draw your attention to. The kingdom of God may seem hidden to the world, but only those who recognize the true value or the true worth of it will respond accordingly. Um, when, when we're talking about God to people who don't know him or people in the world, which you, hopefully you've had this experience, um, but, but people may draw attention to brokenness of the world and say, yeah, but where, where is a loving God in, in the midst of this brokenness? His kingdom must not be nearby if there's pain and suffering. The world may even look at people who have recognized the treasure of the kingdom, people who are giving everything up in pursuit of God and say, you're crazy, why would you sell everything? Why are you doing this? It doesn't make sense. You must be ignorant or uneducated. If you're saying, help me out with some scripture here, back this up a little bit. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It looks ridiculous. They don't recognize it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not everyone recognizes it, but those who do recognize the kingdom or the treasure, like this man in the story, are compelled to respond. There's no other, they, they're compelled to respond. Individuals who truly see the treasure of a life with God are compelled to react in some way. The, the gospel of Jesus or the kingdom treasure is so valuable and compelling that it begs a response. And the response from this guy in this story is what? Joyful surrender joyful surrender like absolutely take it all his immediate response isn't let me contemplate that it's not contemplation it's not mm, let me meditate <laughs> let me it's not meditation it's not even hesitation like hmm it's not skepticism it was joyful surrender of the life that he once knew Right then, on the spot, it was a no-brainer for this guy to sell everything he had. The comparison of what he had versus all he would receive in the kingdom of God was an unbelievable trade. It was the deal of a lifetime. The dude in this story came to the conclusion that all he had was, it was nothing compared to all that he would gain. 
In other words, what we receive by being a part of God's kingdom far outweighs anything that we could receive without him. And the compelling or the convicting or the difficult question that I need to ask myself and we must ask ourselves is this. Can I truly say, like honest to God say, I will joyfully surrender anything and everything for the kingdom of God. It's worth it. I'll do it. Tell me, what is it? I'll do it. Am I at a place in my faith where I will gladly abandon anything and everything? I don't ask this question to shame or guilt anyone, like, wow, I'm not there yet, but to challenge us. Like, do we view the kingdom of God this way? Do I truly believe God's kingdom is worthy of it all? Passion, uh, the passions that we have, our hobbies, our possessions, our reputation, our future plans, our, our weakened experiences, our security, fame, money, preferences. Does Jesus really have unhindered sway over my life? Can I truly say, take it all, you're worthy of it all, whatever you want is for your disposal? My hope is that we get a glimpse of the kingdom treasure so clearly that the only response that we have is joyful surrender. Another kingdom reality that we see from the story is this. God's kingdom is worth relinquishing everything to obtain. It has extreme worth. His kingdom is worth giving everything for, but this comes in direct conflict with the culture that we live in. Because what does is, what is the culture that we live in say? It says, that might be worth it, but you just do you. <laughs> build, build a life for yourself. If it feels good, it must be good. Just go with the flow. Call your own shots. And if you're religious at all, just add a little Christian spin to it. Like maybe go on your social media and change the bio to like God is good or something like that. So it's like a little bit of Christianity. Show up on the Sundays at church that feel feel good for you and work for your schedule. Not on days like this when it's nice out. Like go, go do other stuff on that day. But, but this isn't what we see from the kingdom of God explained by this story that Jesus told. Jesus didn't encourage a Christian spin on top of whatever life we choose. He said it's worth giving it all up. To live as a Christ follower or to belong in God's kingdom today, it's all-encompassing. It's not like, here's my um, friends, here's my spiritual life, here's my career. Here, you know, it's all-encompassing. It's top-to-bottom transformation. It's one of the most subversive and rebellious things that you could possibly do. And our culture will do anything and everything it can to desensitize you to the ways of God's kingdom. It is designed and built to deceive you. Scriptures refer to the enemy as the deceiver. Our culture is all about creation. And God's kingdom is all about the creator. Our culture is all about creation. I need more. What can, how can your creation serve me? And God's kingdom is all about the creator. Fix your eyes on the treasure of the creator. And Jesus instructs his followers in Matthew 6. Listen to this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Kind of that same treasure language, right? We found treasure hidden in a field, buried it, and came and got it. But our culture says, store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Like, let's, let's really make a name for ourselves. But moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To put this in modern day language, there's no trailer hitch on a hearse. Have you heard that before? There's no, tra there's no trailer hitch on a hearse. The, the things that we're storing up for us cannot be brought. We can confidently concern ourselves with the creator God over created things. Amen? I've mentioned this in a recent sermon, but I think it's, it's worth noting again. There were these nights in the year 1120, a couple years back, called the Knights of Templar. These knights were a Catholic military order, and these knights came to Christ, but they also wanted to join this military regime um, 
and they decided, I'm going I'm to be baptized, as if to say, Jesus, my life is yours. But, but they would hold their swords out of the waters of baptism above their head as they went under, as if to say, God, you can have my life, but you can't have what I do with this sword. You can have my life, but what I do on the battlefield belongs to me. You can have every say over every part of my life except for what I'm doing when I'm battling. I love their honesty, but this sounds crazy. <laughs> like, does, does that really, is it, it's like, God, I honor you, but, but there's like one part where I'm not going to honor you. Uh, there's also, let me point your attention to, if you, if you go home tonight, um, which I hope you do at some point, but... Um, uh, there's this YouTube video called How to Catch a Baboon. Yeah, look it up. It's so good. I was going to show it, but it, it's, anyways, I'm, I'm not going to show it. But this guy, what he does is he digs a hole in the side of this, this hill, and he makes sure the baboon is watching him. Out of curiosity, the baboon sitting over there digs this hole, and, and the guy puts seeds, these watermelon seeds, in the hole. And the baboon gets so curious that he must eventually go figure out what in the world that guy dropped in the hole. So the guy's at a distance watching the hole. Sure enough, the baboon runs up, sticks his hand in the hole, grabs the seeds, and his fist is so full that he cannot pull it out. You see what I'm saying? He's trapped, um, and, and the guy walks up and simply, simply puts a leash over the baboon and traps the guy, right? In other words, freedom for this baboon is found on the other side of let it, letting go of whatever he's clenching onto. Both of these illustrations, the knight holding the sword out of the water of the baptism or the baboon refusing to let go of the seeds, sound ridiculous. But if we think about it, we aren't much different. If I think about it, I'm not much different. I'm so quick to say, Jesus, you can have my life. God, let me be a part of your kingdom. You can have it all. But I want to keep this. Like, God, you can have my life and all that's in it. But what I do in my free time is my business. How I, see, how I feel like I should decompress at the end of the day is how, how I see fit. You can have my life. What I do behind closed doors is my business. Okay, that's for me, myself, and I. You can have my life, God, but you can't choose how I spend my money. I earned that at Jamba Juice with my own two hands. <laughs> I'm going to spend that with my own two hands, right? You can have my life. You can't have my future plans. Where I go to college is my business. What I do for my career is what I do for my career. You can have my life, but my dating relationship is just that. It's my dating relationship. That's not for you to get involved in. We're so tempted to live lives like these knights or these baboons, choosing to be all in with a blaring disclaimer or clenching so tightly to what we want that we have become slaves to that very thing when freedom's on the other side of letting go. What if true freedom was truly on the other side of letting go of something that you're clenching on to? What is it for you? What are you tempted to hold out of the waters of baptism? What are you tempted to grip onto, so to speak? What are you tempted to say, you can have my life, everything that's in it, except for this? Could I challenge you with something? Actually, could I dare you with something? I dare you to release whatever it is that you're trying to control and trust God through it. I know some people in this room have done that, and they've experienced immense freedom. That's why they are the people they are today. I dare you to step into the hard work of giving it all up for him and see what happens. We all have things that are vying for our attention and affection. What is it that is seeking after your allegiance? Can I just say God deserves your full heart and affection? He's a jealous God, and he deserves it all. I came across this quote the other day. It's kind of getting at what I'm talking about here. The goal of spiritual growth 
is to live as if Jesus held unhindered sway over our bodies. I love that language. Jesus says, turn left. I turn left. He says, turn right. I turn right. He says, love my neighbor. I love my neighbor. He says, love my enemy. I ignore that one. No, I do that one, right? I love my enemy. Unhindered sway. Of course, it's still we doing the living. We're called by God to live as our uniquely created selves, our temperament, our gene pool, our history. But to grow spiritually means to live increasingly as Jesus would in our unique place to perceive what Jesus would perceive if he looked through our eyes, to think what he would think, to feel what he would feel, and therefore to do what he would do. What would your life look like if Jesus held unhindered sway over you? What would your, how would your life look different if Jesus held unhindered sway over your entire life? I fully believe that if you lived as if Jesus held unhindered sway over you, your life would change this world how the realities of God's kingdom would start showing up in this world through you. And it would be undeniable, and people would start asking questions. And by God's grace, you'd start answering them. And wherever you are, that is where heaven would be crashing into earth. In, in your workplace, in your school, at the grocery store, at the, at the gas pump, at those awkward family gatherings you go to every once in a while, boom, heaven on earth, because you've showed up equipped with God, filled by his Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a little piece of my story. I came to Christ in middle school. My dad introduced me to Christ after he encountered Christ in rehab um, for an alcohol addiction. And it wasn't smooth sailing from there. I'd like to say, oh, we came to Christ. We lived happily ever after. But I quickly came to realize that following Jesus is really difficult and really unpopular, especially in high school. It was not easy for my faith. I went to public school in a small town, which is an entire issue of its own, but I was, I was leading worship on Wednesdays at youth group, and the other six days of the week, I was hanging out at the skate park, you know, I was shredding it up, and there's a crew there that I've known for a while. They were really, really good friends. I don't know if you know much about the skate park, but there's a certain culture there that's really, really um, easy to be influenced by. Um, and for a couple years, I was in this dilemma I'm like, I want to give my life fully to Jesus, but if I were to fully commit my life to Christ, it would mean losing all the friends that I had at the time. So, so signing up to follow Christ fully meant initially embracing isolation. I simply was not strong enough in my faith to be in that environment without being influenced poorly, so I had to make a decision. I, I would proclaim Jesus as Lord on Wednesdays and Sundays, and I'd live like hell the rest of the week. Uh, in, in this season of life, I was reading scripture, like, come on, give me, give me something here, you know. Revelation 3, 15, 16 came up. This was so powerful for me. These are the words of Jesus to a church in Laodicea. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. At this time, I was claiming Jesus as the Lord of my life, but he had no access to change any part of the way that I lived. How crazy is that? Jesus, you are Lord. That, that word itself says, like, you have sway over me. Isn't, like, if somebody is Lord, they have the full right to say or to sway you in any way. I claimed with my mouth, but my talk was really cheap. Um, you may have heard it said, I talked the talk, but I didn't walk the walk, you know? Like, what I decided one day was that I was going to trust God. I was going to give this part of my life up and see what happens. Like, if you're real, let's do this, okay? Like, I've seen you act powerfully and do some real work in my dad's life. You've rescued my family, and now I want the rubber to meet the road here. And I, I don't tell you this to, to boast in myself, but 
really to express my weakness and boast in the Lord. I was really weak in my faith. I did none of this on my own strength but the power of God in me. Showed up at the skate park one last time. Um, only this time I didn't have my skateboard. And I knew if I brought it, I'd be shredding and like, you know, praise God, and then doing the same old stuff that, that I was doing. And my friends didn't know at the time, but I was there to say goodbye to them for good. I, I, I chatted with them for a bit and eventually said, well, guys, see you later, you know. And that was my official goodbye. I, I never went back. I drove from the skate park straight to my house. I applied for Bible college and never looked back. And this was the day that Jesus really started to have sway over my life. We're still working on the unhindered part. <laughs> this, this was the day that I actually surrendered something in obedience to Christ. And I can confidently say that what I surrendered was nothing in comparison to the life I received on the other end. I, I pray for those guys. I want them to come to know, to cr- know Christ. I think of them a lot. The point of the story isn't to abandon the outcasts and live a perfect life in a church building somewhere. <laughs> the point of this story, um, in fact, is I, I wish that I was stronger in my faith to say I went in that environment and I influenced them and led them all to Christ. But let me just say it was so freeing to finally live a life where I wasn't a half-hearted Christian, half-committed Christian. I had real skin in the game where Jesus was really starting to show up, come being lived out through my hands and feet. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon puts it. A half-committed Christian is the most miserable person on earth. They're just enough in the world to be miserable in the presence of God and just enough into God to be miserable in the world. I'd come to grips with the fact that I was miserable knowing that there was treasure on offer for me in Christ and all I had to do was loosen the grip that I had on my life and come running to him. I have a hunch that some of you personally know what I'm talking about. You personally know what it's like to be a little bit in and a little bit out or to be fully in with like a disclaimer or like fine print. And my encouragement to you would be, with joy, give it up. With joy, give it up. He's worthy of it all. God's kingdom is more than worth giving everything for is what Jesus is expressing to us here. There's a story in scripture, I'm sure you've heard of it, It's a rich young dude. It's called the rich young ruler, I think. But uh, he comes to Jesus with this urgency and he wants to know, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, dude, just do everything that I command. And the guy essentially says, I've done it all. I've done everything that you've asked me to do. And Jesus says, there is something that you're holding on to. There's something holding you back from fully giving yourself to me. He said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure. (laughs) That treasure language again, treasure in heaven, then come follow me. I want to make it clear that this is a descriptive verse, not a prescriptive verse, which means it describes what a life after Jesus looks like, what it looks like to give up the thing your heart adores, and it's not prescriptive saying as soon as we leave here, we're selling everything and giving it all to the poor, although we may do that. I don't know. We'll take a vote later, but um, the point of the story is this. There is a direct connection between what we value most and our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. What we value most in in our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Time and time again, we see Jesus pinpoint the thing that truly has people's hearts. He's like, I know you want to follow me, but there's there's this one thing. The kingdom of God is freely given to those who want it more than anything. So, So like we see in the parable today, a guy stubbed his toe on some treasure. And 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 when he what he saw, when he stubbed his toe, looks down, what he saw, he wanted more than anything. 
it was of utmost value and worth. And the point isn't that treasure can be purchased if you go sell everything or it can be earned by hard work. The point is this, that he wanted it more than everything and anything. He just wanted it. Do you want the treasure? Take a good look at the treasure because when we get a grasp of the worth of it, nothing else compares to it. We have something in Christ that is worth losing everything for. We have something in Christ because of his wor- worthiness. He's holy. He's worthy. Let me, let me share a scripture from Paul in the New Testament who is a living example of a guy who tripped over treasure and he gave it all up to receive it. And this, this is what he says in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever were gains to me, he's not talking about like weightlifting gains, but everything that was gains, he's saying whatever I once held with high value or esteem, things that were goals or treasured pursuits, whatever his life previously revolved around, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So the things he once thought were good were actually losses. They were negatives. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Whoa. Paul is saying even the best of life, life's pursuits without Christ is absolute garbage comparison, in comparison to nothing, having absolutely nothing, and just having Christ. Um, sometimes I like to read the, the message transliteration just to give a little bit more nuance. I, I kind of like that. Um, Let me read this same verse, but in the message transliteration, it says this. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special. I'm tearing them up and throwing them in the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I don't know if we can say that. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Isn't that so good? Can I encourage you, Cedar Mill? There's a treasure on offer for you that is worth giving everything for. When you, when you look at the world, um, it may seem difficult to give up certain things, but when you look at the kingdom of God, joyful surrender is the only sensible response. It's the only thing that makes sense. When you, what you receive in Christ far outweighs what you may lose. My prayer for you in response to this message, this scripture, is just that you would possess a spirit of boldness to pursue this calling, that you have a high calling on your life. Do you know that? You're, you're a valued person in the kingdom of God. You have a high calling on your life. You have a radical calling, and my prayer is that you would step in equipped with the armor of God and boldness in your spirit to press in with all that you've got. So I'm just going to pray that over you, and we're going to respond in, in worship. I, I love that when we re, re, respond in worship after we read scripture, because sometimes the scriptures just pump us up and, and redirect our hearts, and then it's like, okay, now I'm in a place where I can fully lean into a posture of worship. So if you would, would you stand with me? And I'm just going to pray over you guys and ladies. Yeah. God, thank you so much for this group of people at this time. I truly believe that that you have specifically called each one of these people to be 
um, to just possess your kingdom and to receive your treasure um, that, that is hidden in this field. I, there, there's people in here who have received it, and for years um, they have been dispersing this treasure. There's people in here who ha- haven't even gotten a glimpse of it, but I know that once they see it, that everything is the only sensible response. So for this group of people t- this morning, I just pray boldness over this crew as they pursue the calling that you have on their lives. I pray that they would be able to discern what what are culture values and what are God's kingdom values or your kingdom values and I pray that we would be able to choose the treasure and that we would experience true freedom in that the things that are holding us captive because our fists are clenched or the things we're holding out of the waters of baptism reveal those to us so then we can say have it all take it all Jesus why because you're worth it we see your worth in this place and because of that we worship you we re- we we turn our, our gaze and our attention back to you and give you the worth that we believe that you deserve. Have your glory in this place. Have your attention in this place. We give it all to you. You're worthy of it all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.